Alright, All right, well welcome everyone. And uh, it says 4 o'clock, or actually 6 o'clock for me. I'm from Austin, Texas. And I'm glad you're here. I actually was born in Sacramento. Who's from Sacramento? Alright. I was born here. My dad was at Mather Air Force Base. Found out a couple years ago. I've been able to come. They've invited me back five or six times. And uh, two years ago, I went and took pictures where I was born, which I discovered is illegal. Uh, they tried to take away my phone, and I promised I would delete my photos because it's still a military, I guess, a VA hospital or something. So don't do that. I, uh, learned, I learned not to do that. I didn't live here long, but then uh, uh, both my parents are from San Antonio, Texas. So I actually grew up in Texas, more kindergarten through college. After college, moved to Seattle, helped plant a church. Uh, actually, I helped plant a church with a guy named Dave Bruscus. If any of you uh, followed Mark Driscoll's uh, talk or his what was happening at uh, right after him, Dave Bruscus came in and spoke every Sunday for a while while they were sorting out. So it was interesting to see how Dave was in Seattle, then he left, and he was back in Seattle. Uh, and then after four years in Seattle, where we had four senior pastors in four years, I don't recommend that as a strategy. I was the third, and I was uh, 23 years old, so that was uh, another bad sign of things to come. But um, after that, my wife and I moved to Los Angeles. We were part of a church called Mosaic for about 13 years. I worked with Erwin McManus, and that was a lot of fun. We had a great experience, and then since a call... Uh, to go back to Texas. I have lots of family, neighbors, I'm sorry, family that does not know Jesus, neighbors too, but uh, cousins, aunts, uncles, and so to go back to Texas, uh, and really the only place that made sense that, that could work was Austin. It's very much like the West Coast, but in Texas. It's a blue dot in a red state. And uh, <clears throat> we've had a great time there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, uh, we're at Gateway Church. Gateway, uh, our pastor's name is John Burke. He's written a book called No Perfect People Allowed. Uh, it's the first church, as far as I know, I'm pretty sure it was the first church that kind of coined the term, come as you are, but don't stay that way. Uh, it was based on a song by Nirvana. Back in the late 90s, they uh, started using that, come as you are, uh, and now it's kind of everywhere. But uh, just very much a similar mentality to what we did at Mosaic, to what we tried to do in Seattle, which was be a church for unchurched people. Um, so often, uh, our, uh, unintentionally perhaps, our churches become kind of a shelter from the world rather than going out into the world to reach the world. We make decisions based on who's he been here the longest rather than who's not even here yet, which is really what we're supposed to be doing. And so um, I am on the teaching team in Austin at Gateway. I'm uh, uh, leading a, a campus there and helping plant other campuses, which is a lot of fun. I uh, still have good relationships with my friends at Mosaic um, and here at Thrive. It was while I was at Mosaic, it was just, you know, 45-minute flight. It's a little longer now, uh, but it was well worth it. It's kind of fun when you leave, you know, Central Standard Time and then you sleep on the plane, then you wake up here and it's like 9 o'clock again. So it's like, it's kind of like two mornings. I get to start all over again. Um, and actually, it's kind of, uh, this is, I, I think you're going to uh, be, I hope, encouraged, I hope challenged, but I also hope uh, this might kind of stretch your mind a little bit. And I noticed that the actual description of, the, of this little breakout is not in there. <laughs> so you have come uh, in faith. Uh, but uh, I'm going to give you four ways to create a better future, not just three. That's right. But in the book it says seven. So anyway, so, so, 
It keeps changing. I, I originally did seven, and I just thought, that's too much to remember. So I tried to whittle it down to three, but I ended up with four. Uh, but um, honestly, um, this last four years has been kind of a personal um, renewal in my own heart and walk with God. Uh, how many would agree with this statement? Ministry would be awesome if it wasn't for the people. Okay? Um, I loved uh, Mosaic in Los Angeles. I loved Seattle and the Anchor. But in both places and at Gateway, man, ministry's hard. You know, people's lives, and they come with brokenness, and broken people uh, have rough edges, right? Hurt people hurt people. And sometimes, as we heard today from you know Mark Driscoll, and uh, he's hurt people, and people have hurt him, and his kids are hurt, and you know hurt. We're all hurt. Um, it's a broken, messed up world. But all that to say, what's happened over the last four years, uh, just in me, is kind of this. I don't know. Just this. Uh, I can't describe it other than a personal renewal. I just feel like uh, I'm more excited about God and ministry. Uh, it feels like I just I just came to Christ, <laughs> uh, like I'm excited again about Jesus and ministry, and and so my hope is after you know whatever we're supposed to be in here for, an hour, okay, in the next 55 minutes my hope is that you'll um, leave with a path towards that. Maybe you're in a great place now, and if you're in a great place now, then uh, at the end of this I think you'll have some tools to where you can actually uh, create a better future, and. Um, we're going to look at a person named Hezekiah. And Hezekiah has just kind of a crazy story. If you don't know the story of Hezekiah, uh, prepare to have your mind blown. <laughs> right? He literally fast forwards into the future. Uh, he changes God's plan for his life. He gets 15 more years of life. Like he had such an intimate relationship with God that he would ask for things that God had not planned and God said yes. Hmm. So that can actually be true in our walk with God. I believe God's plan is going to happen, but our role in it is up to us. Okay? So let me pray, and then I'll give you the four ways to create a better future. Let's pray. God, thank you for these women and men that are in this room. And it's uh, already been just an amazing conference. Uh, and so I just pray that uh, there would be at least one thing that you speak to us in this moment that we can walk away with. Uh, we're inundated with so many great ideas and so many uh, amazing people that we're meeting from all over the world and, and, and getting to see friends maybe that we see all the time. But, but God, we just want to hear ultimately not from speakers or not from friends, but from you. So God, speak to us in this moment. Show us uh, who you want us to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So when we moved from Los Angeles to uh, Austin, it was kind of a, an amazing experience. I always like to show a little prop. I'm not checking my emails here. Uh, but I, I wanted to give you... It was kind of a... I mean, we had an amazing experience in Los Angeles. But um, it, it was going to take a miracle for us to ever even leave. I, I never wanted to leave. It was uh, just such a great place. Uh, but my wife wanted us to leave. And uh, probably wanted us to leave for about three or four years. We were not on the same page. And uh, it was funny, uh, it's funny now, I'd come home and she'd be looking at houses in other states. And I'd be like, what are you doing? You know, and, she, and she was like, oh, nothing, you know. Uh, I caught her, right? It was like landlust. It was property pornography. You know, it was like, 
she, and I'd come home and she would close her computer, you know, and I was like, you're doing it again, you know, but we were just not on the same page. And uh, so there was this time where my wife asked me to pray if we should stay or if we should go. And some of that yearning she had was to be closer to extended family. And, and I was a workaholic, I'll be honest. I was not, uh, you know, I was not as attentive to her and the kids as, as I should have been. And I learned that, and there was this season where I finally relented and said, okay, I'll at least pray about it. I'm a pastor, so at least I should do that, right? <laughs> but I, already, I thought, there's no reason to pray. I already knew what God was going to say. Uh, but one day I decided to pray about it, and uh, I was walking to the gym, which was kind of a miracle in itself. I didn't work out a lot in those days. And um, I walked into the gym praying, God, would you like for us to move back to Texas, or do you want to stay here in California? And I walked into the gym, and I kid you not, a song I'd never heard before came on the radio, and it was this. True story. True story. Yes. True story. Literally spoke. And the guys singing are the guys who sing the Phineas and Ferb theme song. Which my kids were totally into that. So I'm walking in and like the Phineas and Ferb guys are singing, come back to Texas. And then I get on the treadmill and I'm running on the treadmill and then I see California versus Texas in the Little League World Series. And so I'm like, okay, this is already too weird. I don't want to go, but God, whatever you want us to do, just make it clear by whichever team wins. Because I don't want an extended period of figuring this out. This is too stressful. And then all of a sudden, Texas won. And I was thinking, double or nothing. You know, like... Uh, and, uh, and so things like that just kept happening. I'd get uh, fortune cookies that say, uh, your move to the east will be profitable. It's like, I'm, who says I'm moving to the east, right? And, uh, and then uh, I, I was reading in Ezekiel, which I happened to be reading again this morning. And uh, it says, go back to your countrymen, those stubborn and obstinate people. There's no other state that considers itself a country quite like Texas. And they are stubborn and obstinate, right? Just like me. And, uh, and so I went to Irwin and I told him, my, uh, you know, I don't know what to do. All these crazy things are happening. My wife wants us to move back to Texas, but I don't want to. What should I do? And Irwin said to me, well, I would never want your ministry to get in the way of your wife's happiness. I thought, well, I've never thought about that myself. <laughs> Is that bad that I didn't worry about that? And he basically said, you need to move. Uh, and so we were going to for about a week, and then my wife decided because I was willing, she didn't want to go anymore. <laughs> it's a woman's prerogative, right? But then a year later, um, it became clear, uh, and this was what was kind of neat, is by then my wife did not want to leave. By then she felt like she could stay in L.A. and be happy with me as a pastor and a husband. And, and so we, he we had a lot of healing so that when we did move, we moved in a, uh, a position of strength out of a calling, not with our tail between our legs, if that makes any sense. And so, when we moved, uh, you know, moving is a hassle, right? And we had two kids. Uh, we still have two kids, but they were smaller. Uh, at the time, I think they were like 11 and 8, and we'd move all the way across country, and then we'd get there, and we, un you know, we'd move into this place for six weeks while we're waiting to get into the house, and we get into this house, and we unpack, and after all the unpacking, I could not find my journals. Like literally journals I'd kept from the age of 15 to 35. I had the one for the previous two years. I was 37 at the time. For the, literally from 15 to 35, journals all gone. 
And I would look for those journals. I would pray for those journals. And literally for months, I could not find those journals anywhere. And uh, we moved in uh, beginning of 2011. By December of 2011, I was grieving the loss of my journals. These were not like just, you know... Yeah, it was my life. Like it was moments where I would pray and share my heart with God and then see how He'd answer. And it was like 20 years of my life. And I remember coming into the end of 2011 and, you know, expecting that 2012, of course, the end of the world would come. And uh, just kidding. Um, But at the end of 2011, I could not find these journals and I was starting to give up. And I I would even share it as a prayer request. Guys, pray. I want to find my journals. And uh, I remember in one of the groups, uh, one of the guys saying, well, you know, it wouldn't be cool if like one day you're in a movie and you're watching it and there's like a scene from your life that someone had found your journals and used it as like a screenplay. And then I was like, you know what? Let's pray that no one finds my journals. Like that, that is not what I'm going for either. Uh, that's not what I, this is my journals. I just want them for me. And, um, and so at the end of 2011, going into 2012, 2012 did feel like kind of a turning uh, turning the page kind of moment and I actually um, had this sense from God that um, those journals he had allowed them to be hidden from me so that I would stop thinking about the past stop focusing on the past but instead write something new that the best was yet to come and it it, it gave me a great sense of excitement and hope because it's hard when you leave something you love and start something new Right? And so it was a new city. It was the coldest winter on record in Austin in 2011, followed by the hottest summer on record. We were thinking, what have we done? Uh, you come to California, and there's no Pete's Coffee. Right? At the time, there was no In-N-Out. There was no Trader Joe's. But God has answered my prayers. There's now a Trader Joe's in Austin. There's now an In-N-Out coming closer than the one in L.A. ever was to me. So God is good. But all, all that to say, in the middle of this, kind of reading the story of Hezekiah, um, really kind of inspired me. Hezekiah, maybe this is uh, kind of setting the stage here for you. Maybe your struggle is you find yourself repeating your same issues. You never seem to be making progress. Maybe that's, uh, maybe that's you. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you, you have this fear that you're going to grow up to be like your dad mm-hmm. or like your mom mm-hmm. or anyone you're related to. right? <laughs> or, or maybe you've just felt stuck and you fear the future. So what I want us to do today is four ways to create a better future. Not let the past haunt us, but instead create a better future. Okay? Um, So, Hezekiah. His story is told three different times, which I think is significant. 2 Kings 18, 2 Chronicles 29, and Isaiah 36. Isaiah 36, 2 Chronicles 29, 2 Kings 18. The people of Israel, he was a king during the time where they'd kind of make progress and then they'd go two steps forward, three steps back. Right? They, they were led by wicked leaders and good leaders and they would just go back and forth and then they would get in trouble and then they would repent and then they would be restored and they'd get in trouble and repent. They were going through the ups and downs just like maybe you do, like I do. But then Hezekiah became king. He was 25 years old when he became king. His father had been evil and wicked. In fact, things were so bad at that time that the people of Israel had actually started sacrificing their own children, just like the evil nations around them. They were supposed to be set apart in their behavior, right? And they were worse. Actually, today I was reading in Ezekiel, it says that they were worse than the nations around them. So, this uh, 25-year-old 
decides to do something different, change the trajectory of his life and his people's life. First thing he did is he made a covenant with God. A covenant. This isn't a New Year's resolution that you repeat every year. A covenant instead is this. You commit yourself and your decisions to God. I don't know how many people who say, I'm committed to God, and then they make decisions with a magic eight ball. <laughs> right? Like, it's committing your life and your decisions to God. You allow other people to speak into your life. You're informed by the Scriptures. You're praying. You make decisions based on what is best according to God. So listen to what he did. Second Chronicles 29. It says, In the very first month of the first year of his reign, Hezekiah opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. His very first act of business is, you know what, I'm going to do everything, to, I'm going to do the opposite of my dad. Did you ever see the uh, episode of uh, uh, Seinfeld where George Costanza decides to do the opposite of what he always did? Some of you aren't old enough to know George Costanza. He was a mentor of mine when I was in college. And, uh, yeah, and you know, okay, it's still on television, right? But he started doing the opposite of everything. Like he would tell a joke, everybody would laugh, and then he would leave. Because before, he would keep telling jokes until he was annoying, right? And uh, he went up to uh, this girl and he was like, I don't have a job and I live with my parents. You want to go out? And she's like, oh, you're so honest. Yes, you know. <laughs> he started doing the opposite, right? So Hezekiah starts from the beginning, the very first month of the first year of his reign, and he decides, you know what? I'm going to open up the doors of the temple. I'm going to repair the temple. And then it says in verse 10, Now I intend to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger will turn away from us. He made a covenant with God. And then he began to call his people to return to God. And here's what's amazing. They did. Right? They started taking their crops and started giving it to uh, the Levites. Right? And they started taking care of their people. They actually started to worship again. Like, they actually returned to God in every way. And as a result, Hezekiah started something that turned into a spiritual awakening among his people. So first, make a covenant with God. Commit yourself and your decisions to God. Number two, redefine success. When we think of success, we think of success as bad things don't happen to us or we get more power or we, you know, get a promotion or a raise. But the Hebrew mind, that actual word success means this, prudent or to wisely understand. Listen to this in 2 Kings 18. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. That's a bold statement. No one like him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the command the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. Boy, wouldn't that be a cool byline of your life, Right? It doesn't matter what job you had or where you lived. If you were described as she was successful in whatever she did. He was successful in whatever he did. Now, if we think from a Western mindset, we'll misunderstand. We'll be disappointed. Okay, I'm going to commit myself to God and then nothing bad will happen to me. That's not what this means. It means he actually could make wise choices no matter what was going on around him. His faith was bigger than his circumstances. For many of us, our circumstances are bigger than our faith. All right? Oh, I almost forgot. I uh, see some of you writing stuff down. I will send you the notes. Okay? If you will, just give me your email address. 
And about once every other month, maybe six times a year, I'll send you like a little uh, free resources via email. Uh, giveaway books every month or so. Yeah, so make sure I can read it though. If you're not sure, ask the person next to you. Uh, I, did, I was just in Tampa this week. It's kind of feels like a year ago. I was in Tampa. Actually, this, so this week, I, in Thursday, let's see, I live in Austin. Then on Thursday, I went to Houston. Then uh, Thursday night, I came back to Austin. Then Sunday, I went to Houston, New Orleans, Tampa. Then Tampa, Atlanta, Austin. And then Austin, San, uh, Phoenix, Sacramento in the last eight days. So I don't, know, I don't even know what time it is, where, what day it is. What year is this? Uh, so it's been a blur. But literally, I asked everybody to write it down, and I sent an email out, and I got like eight bounce back. So it could be my, you know, I'm not able to read Floridian's handwriting. Uh, but if you could just, you know, real clear, and I'll get it to you. All right. So success means making wise choices. He was successful in whatever he did. He was so connected to God. He made a covenant with God that no matter what evil things were happening around him, no matter what decisions were made around him, he knew what to do and when to do it. Okay? That's a big deal. That's a, that would be awesome if that could be true of us. Alright? So the third thing he did is he removed the distractions so he could focus on God. We said earlier that he got, he got rid of all the false idols and all the worship of this and that. But here's what happened for me in my own personal renewal. I read a book called... I'm going to forget the name of it. It's a goofy name. Today We Are Rich by Tim Sanders. The name does not do it justice. It's, it's, he's a believer, but he's uh, known for being like... A, uh, he, was some, uh, he was like the creative engineer at Yahoo or something. And uh, it's a fantastic book. He wrote another book called Love... Uh, the, um, something about love. And uh, it's really good. The Love App or something. I can't remember what it was. But it's about being kind in business. Anyway, in this book he talked about fasting from negative voices. Like the news. Well, I don't know about you guys. I have trouble going to sleep at night. So I like to read the news. And literally, those little lights on our phone is actually designed to keep you awake. <laughs> and I didn't realize that. So I would read one article. Then I'd read another article. Two and a half hours later... I am fully informed of all that's happening in the world, but not asleep. And, not and I'm not tired. And so I decided for about a month, I would fast from the news. So instead, I would read the Bible. Because there was nothing else to read on my iPhone. <laughs> and so, it was amazing. When I stopped some of the clutter, man, when I was exhausted some days, I'd come home and I'd watch SportsCenter three times. I already knew who won. <laughs> There's no reason to watch Sports Center twice. You see the same highlights again and again. But I would just allow television and the news to just kind of fill up my head. And instead, I fasted from things that would distract me so that I could focus on God. And it was in the midst of that I began to hear God's voice more clearer than I had before. So here's the question. Just be real practical for a moment. From what should you fast? Now, another thing I like to fast from is sugar. Man, it's amazing. I, I had a salted caramel shake last night at Alamo Draft House. Maybe you went to Alamo Draft House when you were in Austin. Uh, it's a fantastic little movie theater. And salted caramel shake is one of the most delicious things on the planet. It was a special date night. But about 
Three o'clock in the morning, I wake up with a stomach ache when I drink that much sugar, right? So I was really celebrating hard. I told my wife, only for you, sweetheart, right? You know. Um, but it is one of those things that, man, when I fast from sugar, I have more energy, right? So just, just think in terms of, if I gave up something, I, one time I fasted from Diet Coke, I was shocked at how often I thought of Diet Coke throughout the day. <laughs> and when you fast, the idea of a fast is every time you think of that thing you're giving up, you turn your thoughts to God. Yeah. Right? So from what should you fast? And another question to ask, how are you seeking God to hear His voice? Through prayer, through the Scriptures, and through community. Um, just a, kind of a bonus, I don't have a really slide on this, but um, one of the things that I, I was kind of thinking about the other day uh, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? Four different things. Well, if you look at his life, he also had four layers of relationship. I think helped, help, uh, if we do the same, it will help us do just that. Let me give you an example. First of all, he had his tight-knit core of three. Right? Love the Lord your God with all your soul. Do you have people who know everything about you? You've opened your entire soul to them and they to you. You have the three. And then, he, and, in, uh, and then those three were part of His twelve. Right? Love the Lord your God with all your mind. Right? A small group. Man, it's amazing how many people who need counseling, if I can get them in a small group, just having other people telling them, you're not crazy. Or, you are crazy. <laughs> it's amazing how we can make better decisions in the context of community. Studying the Scriptures. Right? But then those twelve were also part of the 70. Remember that? He would send them out together. So it's not three different ministries. It's literally layers of relationship. You jump into a life group and then that you have two or three people that really, really know you. But that life group also serves with other life groups to make a difference. That's loving the Lord with all your strength. We need to serve more than our church needs our help. We need to serve more than our pastor needs our help. If you're our pastor, boy, realizing that our people need to serve more than I need their help changed everything about how I recruited people. Because all of a sudden, I'm doing them a favor by asking them to help set up. And if I could cast vision that every chair you're setting up this Sunday morning literally could be the space that God meets someone this morning. Right? Fourth, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Right? That's Sunday mornings. Right? There should be disciples in that crowd, but there should be, if we're doing things right, tax collectors and prostitutes, all there to hear the message of Jesus. Right? So you have your three, your twelve, your seventy, and your hundreds or thousands. And that's loving the Lord with all your heart. It's there that the Sunday mornings we can connect our hearts with others and with each other. So here's what, uh, the reason I throw that out there. If you ever find yourself stuck or plateaued or in the status quo, Consider, is there one of these layers of relationship I'm missing? Have I stopped going on Sundays? Or if I'm there, I come late, I leave early, and I don't, I, I don't ask God to speak to me. I assume it's for everybody else because I've already figured this out. Or have I stopped serving? Or have I stopped sharing my heart? Have I stopped asking others to share their soul to me? Right? When we start to see the Scriptures as a portal into God's presence rather than a book to study so we can win Bible trivia, it changes everything. When you approach Sunday mornings, when you approach your small group, when you approach one-on-one time with God, and you open that Bible and you realize this is a portal into God's presence, 
God, speak to me. Show me what you have for me. It changes everything. See, some of us, uh, we do an autopsy of the Bible, but you can't do an autopsy. It's living. Right? Uh, it's not about how much we know about the Bible. It's how much of the Bible that we obey. Uh, does anyone know what Joseph Stalin was doing before he became uh, the leader of Soviet Russia and responsible for the deaths of 25 million people? Was that? Was he a coach? No, I don't think so. Maybe. But I know he was in seminary. Wow. He was a seminary student and I've heard he had the book of Matthew memorized. So knowing the Bible doesn't change us. It's taking what we hear in the Scriptures and applying it to our life that changes us. See, some of us, we're not able to get past our struggles because we've assumed this is as good as it's going to get. There are struggles in our lives that you've just assumed I will have for the rest of my life. And that's a lie. It's not true. Everyone in my family is uh, either on Lipitor (laughs) for high cholesterol or on anti-anxiety medication. Right, And we get together and we talk. All my aunts are trying to convince all my uncles to get on the anti-anxiety medication because their anxiety comes out more like anger. Right, They have a short fuse. And it was interesting because we did a series through the 12 steps, um, uh, Celebrate Recovery, that kind of thing. And uh, our pastor, John Burke, said, I want you to choose one thing to work on. And if you can't think of one thing you want to overcome, choose pride. <laughs> well, I didn't want to choose pride, so I chose anxiety. Because it's something in my family, right? And it's amazing. When I started to, to fight anxiety, something I just assumed, Bryants are all anxious people. I don't know if that's true of your Bryants, Marshall. Okay. We have another Marshall, uh, Marshall another Bryant over here, Marshall here. And, um, and so I just assumed this is how I will always be. But I started working through the steps, which, by the way, are very much spiritual disciplines. And I just started attacking anxiety, much like I did 20 years before, attacking impure thoughts, taking every thought captive, uh, realizing how powerless I was, and working through uh, forgiveness and amends and all these things. And it was amazing how God began to give me peace in ways I didn't experience before. What are you assuming you will never overcome? Because that may be the very thing that God wants to heal you from. One of the things that I started to realize, and again, I kind of grew up with this you know, fear of becoming like my dad. And uh, my, my dad and I have a great relationship now. But th- you know, when I was 10, he told me I was too old to hug him. So I had to shake his hand goodnight. <laughs> right? It's funny now. You can laugh. It's, it's okay. Uh, it was funny. One time I was telling these stories uh, and a guy during the service and, and, and Gateway at the McNeil campus is huge. There's like a thousand you know, seats kind of like here and literally a guy starts walking towards me as I'm telling these stories about my dad. You know, and, uh, and the reason is he wanted to give me a hug. And I realized you know, because I didn't know that because I'm given to anxiety. <laughs> like I'm, I just see this dude walking toward me and, uh, and in the end, you know, he just wanted to give me a hug and said I, he gave him a handshake. And, uh, but so my dad and I had kind of this, this difficult relationship. And, um, and, and, and what I started to realize is, as difficult as your family is, what if, what if God sent you to that family 
so that He could bring healing to you so that you could bring healing to everyone who's come before you and start a new path for everyone who comes after you. Man, I went years wishing I had been a part of a different family. Some of you may be the same. And some of us have faced incredible evil where we grew up. But is it possible that God can bring good out of that evil? That He could heal you in such a way that you can bring healing to everyone who came before you and a new path for everyone who comes after you? But it starts with making a covenant to God. That's your decisions in your life. Redefining what success is. It's about being able to make wise choices regardless of circumstances and then get rid of the distractions around you. Which leads to number four. Seek God. This is the bonus one. Seek God with desperation and selflessness. It's a long word. There's this crazy story about Hezekiah. Here's where we're going to start getting into like alternate realities. Right? So, literally, Assyria had never lost. And they were evil. They did terrible things to their victims. And the Assyrian field commander stood outside of the city where Hezekiah was and he shouted out to the people, Don't believe your king. You will lose. We have never lost. Give up. Surrender to me. God, this is the field commander, has told me you will lose. So what do you do when someone who... I mean, you will never win. When someone who has never lost tells you that God told them they're going to win again, what do you do? Well, the people held strong. They stayed with Hezekiah and Hezekiah said a, a prayer. And he prayed in Isaiah 37, 20. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from His hand, the field commander of Assyria, so that None of our people would be hurt. He didn't say that. So that I could remain king. He didn't say that either. Listen to what he says. So that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. His prayer was actually more concerned with God's reputation and the people around them, their enemies. Someone look up Second um, Chronicles 30, 18-20. If you have a little... Bible app or an ancient paperback style. Alright? Remember those? Anyone remember those? No, I'm just kidding. By the way, the other day, my kids and I, along with my wife, we were watching a TV show called Blackish. And my kids love that show. And lit- No, no, I'm sorry. It was Goldberg's. We were watching Goldberg's, another funny show from the 80s. This one's from the 80s. Blackish is not. Anyway, watching the show, and the kids are yelling at the mom to get off the phone. And I had to pause it to explain to my kids what that meant. <laughs> that back in my day, there was only one phone, and when your mom was on it, no one else could get on it. There was no call waiting. Twelve-year-olds didn't have phones, right? Anyways, different era. Uh, someone have Second Chronicles 30. Anyone got it? 18 through 20. Read it out for us. Listen to this. Listen to Hezekiah's concern for the outsider. Come as you are impure people. His prayer were for the nations. Not for His nation. How often are we us versus them? Right? His concern, His prayer was one of desperation and selflessness. He prayed, God, rescue us from the evil Assyrians. I know they've never lost. I know they've never lost, but I want to ask that You would protect us to 
further your name and make sure um, that the kingdoms around us are blessed. Now listen to this. Watch this. This is crazy. Alright? This is, this is like the TV show Lost. Alright? Okay? Listen to this. God says, Because you have prayed to me, basically goes on to say, you're going to be okay. Then he says, Have you not heard? Long ago I ordained it. In days of old I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass. What it seems to be saying here is the plan all along was Assyria would be destroyed. They were going to be destroyed. They were evil. God had let them run amok. He'd given them time to repent. They did not repent. He was going to destroy them. And because Hezekiah prayed, what was planned for further in the future happened then. Now listen, we see this in Scripture. This happens from time to time. Alright? He basically says, uh, oh, let me just say this. I said this at the beginning, but let me just say this a little bit more clearly. God's plan will happen. He is sovereign. But we have the freedom to be a part of what He's doing or not a part of what He's doing. And He's so amazing that He can take even the terrible choices that we make and somehow bring good out of it. He can do that. I've seen it in my own life. Maybe you have too. But I'll give you a silly little example of this. One time I was speaking uh, in Los Angeles at a church called First Chinese Baptist Church. And I was there... Teenagers were there, middle school and high school, and the band was playing, and I was about to speak right after this song. And literally, I had this thought. Ask them to sing the song again. Now, I kind of knew it was from God, and I should have immediately obeyed, right? By the way, maturity is not what you know, it's how fast you do what you're supposed to do. Well, this was not one of my more mature moments because I started debating with God. Well, if I ask them to sing it again, what if they don't want to? What if I don't get up in time before the band gets off the stage and I start going through all the reasons why I should not do that and while I'm having this debate with God and I should have known it was God because it required courage, it was selfless, right? It's consistent with the Scriptures, right? I'm not making things up about what God's telling me. While I was having this debate with God, a 14-year-old kid on keyboard said, you know what, guys? I think we should sing this song again. I had been replaced by a 14-year-old in that moment. A moment I could have stepped in and led because it was God speaking to me and I didn't act fast enough, so God chose somebody else. And look what it says in Jeremiah. And if I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. I believe this is true not just of nations but of us. That God has good He intends to do for us but if we don't trust Him He can't do it in our lives. What is the good He's intending for you but you're not taking your walk with God seriously enough to experience it? Man, I can look back over my life and see how many times I had to relearn the same lesson. Why not just learn it and keep going, right? And I'm telling you, what, I, what I've started to experience now is there are things that I could, somehow I only learned in the midst of crisis that now I'm, I'm, I'm able to get to that closeness with God by doing the right things. I don't have to wait for crisis anymore. It used to be crisis close to God. 
And now, I want to stay as close to God as I can. Right? At all times. I don't want to have to wait for a crisis. But think about that. The good I intended to do, I will not be able to do if they choose a different path. We can actually miss the good that God intends. Alright. Well, things didn't always go well for Hezekiah. Alright? He still made some bad choices. And then he found himself sick. Maybe you remember this story. He was on his deathbed. Literally. And he prayed. And remember, this is a man who made a covenant with God. He was like, he had redefined success. Right? He would gotten rid of all the distractions. And he sought after God, not for what he could get, but for the good it could do for other people. See, sometimes we don't have a yes from God in our prayers because we're not desperate enough or we're too selfish. Right? So, how, if God is going to answer your prayer, how will that help others find faith? Right? How will that change the lives of other people? I mean, think about it for a moment. Just a quick aside. Just say out loud the name of the person that helped you follow Jesus. Who was it? Okay, I heard an Alan, a Caleb. Anyone else? Dad, Mom. Okay, so I want you to think for a moment. God loved you so much that He brought that person into your life. That's how much He loves you. He made sure you had that interaction. He brought that person into your life. So... Isn't it possible that God loves your neighbor so much, your co-worker so much, that family member, that friend so much that He brought you into their life? See, God wants to bless us so that we can be a blessing to all those around us. And sometimes we dam up that love of God. We let it kind of hit us and we don't let it bubble over like it's supposed to into the lives of other people. See, sometimes we don't experience more of what God wants because He knows that if I give them more, it's not going to pass on to other people. But if we have open hands, God, I want You to answer this prayer because not only will it help me in this situation, but I know it will help my neighbors and co-workers and friends that I have close relationship and they're watching what happens in this moment. Boy, that's a different kind of prayer, isn't it? Alright, so he's sick, he's about to die, and he prays. So sometimes... We can fast forward into the future, have such a close relationship with God that He actually will answer our prayers in ways that we will be amazed. But also, He will give us more time. Listen to this. This is God speaking. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life and I will deliver you and the city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. So, the Scriptures tell us that God knows our beginning and our end. And right here, God says, you know what, I'm going to change your expiration date because you asked me to. That's, that's amazing. Right? That's an that's a intimacy with God I want. Right? Not so that I can get 15 more years. I want to, to be so close to God that I'm asking what I know He wants for me. So often I'm not, right? So often we're asking for things that we look back and think, whew, man, I'm glad God said no, right? I want to be so close to God. I know what He, what he wants for me and for my family and for my church. Here's a crazy little story. 
uh, when we were in Los Angeles, um, we were trying. We were called the Church on Brady, and that's a street, a little short street in East LA, and we outgrew that building. And so we were looking for another place, and we wanted to kind of move closer to downtown. And we found this nightclub, and someone swooped in and bought the nightclub, and we couldn't have afforded it anyway. But Irwin went up to this nightclub owner, the new owner, and he says to him, I would like to rent your facility to proclaim the name of the living God to the city. This is a Chinese businessman. He says, well, let me talk to my wife. So he goes to his wife, comes back to Irwin and says, you can have it for $100 a week. Now, this is in 1998. That's a long time ago, but that's still cheap. Right? $100 a month. In downtown, did I say week? Yeah. It was a week. $100 a week, so that's 400 a month. $100 a week, which is ridiculous for this nightclub. It used to be owned by Prince in downtown Los Angeles, right? Now, it was nasty. <laughs> we had to go in and we'd put like garbage bags on our feet to walk around and clean up. Yeah, it was bad. But we were the first, as far as I know, we were the first church to ever meet in a nightclub. We were the first church to have multi-site. We didn't call it multi-site. We called it Urban Mosaic and we called it Mosaic, the other one. Uh, or the church on Brady and then we became Mosaic. But all that to say, here's why he said yes. Uh, the Chinese businessman, his name is George, his mother-in-law had just died within the last year or so from that request. She was Chinese, lived in China. Fifteen years prior, she was on her deathbed. And she didn't know what to do. They went to all the doctors they could find there in Shanghai. And her daughter was visiting and said, I don't know what to do. Why don't you go get that book? Go get that book that American gave us, that, that magical book. So they go and they grab the Bible. She doesn't know where to read. So she opens it up and starts reading the story of Hezekiah. And they prayed she would live at least 15 more years. And she did. Then she died. And then when Irwin said, we want to proclaim the name of the living God to the city, he remembered this part of this verse. Deliver you and this city. And he thought, very superstitiously, whatever this guy's saying, we're going to do. <laughs> because the God of the Bible gave my mother-in-law 15 more years. We should probably, for good luck, say yes to let them do whatever they want in the city. Right? By the way, if you know anything about Irwin, if you read any of his books, he doesn't, he doesn't, there are times where he's wise as serpent, innocent as doves. He doesn't normally lead with, we're going to proclaim the name of the living God in your city. That's like not an Irwin way to say things, but he sensed that's what he was supposed to say in that moment. And in the end, it opened the door into a, a place where so many people came to Christ. ABC News there in LA did a story on the church in a nightclub. Right about the same time, we were, you know, we were a small, struggling church. We didn't have, we didn't have money to market, you know, put out things in newspapers. Remember the newspapers, uh, or billboards, right? So right about that time, we move into the nightclub, and ABC News does a, decides to do a special on Mosaic, a church in a nightclub, and they put billboards all over the city. Watch tonight at 11, a church in a nightclub. And I could tell you amazing stories of Buddhists and Muslims and Hindus and New Age and people who thought they were Christian, uh, Baptists, all sorts of people that came to know Jesus in that nightclub. And so I just want to pause. I know we just have a few more minutes. 
But I just want you to kind of, in the midst of this moment, so much going on, right? This might sound odd. You may not do this in any other breakout. This won't do well for the videotape or the audio tape. But I just want to take a 30 seconds, 30 seconds, just to let us pause and let's see what God might say. What good does He intend for you if you just keep trusting Him? What, what do you, this is He wants you to fast from. What does He want you to pray for? Maybe you stopped praying for something too soon. The only reason you haven't gotten it is because you stopped asking for it. So just pause for 30 seconds. Let's just listen to what God might have to say. God, give us eyes to see what you see in us. Help us to not do anything that would get in the way of the good you intend for us. And if there is anything, God, may we let go of it, remove it, repent from it, that we would experience the fullness of what you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.